Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Today's guest is a board-certified pediatrician, independent health advocate, a TEDx and keynote speaker, and the CEO of Your GPS Doc, LLC, an innovative company that helps aging individuals, those with chronic illnesses, and their family caregivers navigate the healthcare system. She is Dr. Nicole T. Rochester. Nicole was inspired to start her company after caring for her late father and witnessing the complicated healthcare system from the other side of the stethoscope. She has a weekly Facebook Live show called Navigator Nuggets, I love that name, where she discusses key topics to help individuals advocate for themselves and their family members in healthcare settings. She is the author of Healthcare Navigation 101, a guide for college-bound students and parents, a book designed to help high school and college students learn how to manage their own health. And there's much more information about her at our website, speakupandstayalive.com. She is also a contributor to our charity, Patient Safety Anthology, titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. And we have lots to talk about today from children to seniors. So let's get going. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. I'm excited to talk and learn so much from you today. So I want to dig right in. Now, I know that you practiced medicine for, I think it was 17 years, first as a primary care pediatrician, and then for the last 13 years as a pediatric hospitalist. What events caused you then to become an independent patient advocate? Yeah, that's a it's interesting story. I have always wanted to be nothing but a pediatrician. I mean, since I was eight or nine years old, I declared over and over again that I was going to be a pediatrician. And I was extremely happy doing that. Like you said, I practiced medicine for just under 20 years. But towards the end of my clinical career in 2010, my dad, who suffered from a lot of chronic health conditions, started to become worse and was no longer able to really effectively care for himself. And so my two older sisters and I became his caregivers. And that experience was completely transformative, to say the least. During the course of three years before he passed away, I just had an opportunity to really see a different side of our healthcare system. You know, as a pediatrician, generally people do anything and everything to help kids. And so that was really my perspective. And so I really wasn't prepared for what we had to deal with with my dad, where I really felt that um, in many cases, he seemed invisible to the healthcare providers. It seemed as if there was a lack of compassion um, on many fronts. And then just the, just the sheer difficulty of 
navigating healthcare, getting him the care that he needed and sorting through insurance and all of those things. So even as an experienced physician, it was very, very difficult to navigate that uh, as a family caregiver. And I, and I, or I noticed that oftentimes it was only because of my background as a physician, the knowledge that I had, the influence that comes along with that title, unfortunately, allowed me to kind of cut through red tape. And so each time I would successfully get through some nightmare related to my dad's health care, you know, I would sit back and reflect about the fact that I wouldn't even have known to do that had I not been a physician. And so that really started to anger me and, and bother me because I know that, you know, there are millions of other family caregivers out here who don't have that background and that expertise. And so after my dad passed away, I continued to work as a pediatric hospitalist and a medical director and teaching, you know, medical students and residents and, and continued to love my job, but something was different and something inside of me had changed. And I just couldn't shake this feeling that there was something else that I needed to be doing. So in 2017, I took this crazy leap of faith and, and left my job to launch my company. And I'm sure you are happy that you did that. As you say, you can help people now who, without that background, they have they don't know what they don't know. And so how do you even know what questions to ask or what to bring up if you don't have that background? So I'm sure that what you're doing has just helped so many people. Yeah, it, it does. And I, I have no regrets. You know, of course, I have days where I miss, you know, the, the babies and, and I do still do a little bit of clinical work, but I, I have no regrets about my decision. And, I, you know, luckily, I am just as fulfilled by this work as I was being a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for making that leap, because I know there's many people that really have survived because of it. I want to talk about children and young adults as they interact with the healthcare system. How do their needs differ from the adult population, both in terms of patient safety and their experience in general? You know, there's actually a lot of similarities that I discovered between, you know, children and older adults. With children, depending on their age, you know, the, the main thing is that they don't often have the tools to communicate effectively with healthcare providers. And so, you know, if you start from the infancy stage, you know, this is the beauty of being a pediatrician and this is where that art of medicine comes into play. You know, we have to really watch the facial expressions of children, watch their body language, you know, if they're infants, uh, you know, pre-verbal, we have to develop those skills that allow us to determine whether we think it's their stomach that's hurting or whether we think it's their leg or, you know, why are they crying? incessantly. And those are things that come with practice. Um, you know, but luckily, of course, we have those parents who are those strong advocates and who are, um, you know, around the children and, and know them well. So, um, you know, it's really important that we partner with the parents and, and other family members to really kind of paint that picture for us as to what's going on with the child. And then, you know, as they become older um, and they're able to communicate, what, what I have found as a, as a pediatrician is that we parents, and I'm saying we because I've been guilty of this myself, we often don't pass the torch. You know, we continue to speak up for our children. We continue to, you know, fill in the blanks. And, and often because our desire is always to protect our children, we don't allow them to develop those really necessary skills to communicate with other healthcare providers. And then, you know, and that's what happens. Ultimately, they go away to college and you know, they become adults, and then we find 
these health literacy gaps and these communication gaps. With children, it's just really important that we, as parents, that we start to really allow them to use their voice and that we give them opportunities to speak to the doctors, learn how to verbalize their symptoms, um, you know, how to advocate for themselves, because these are skills that we know become important, particularly when they are away from their parents. Oh, that is so important. And I don't think many parents think about that. I, I know I didn't even think about that in the beginning stages when I was with my mom and she was my mom. And, you know, the doctor would come <laughs> in and, and they would look at me and I would take the lead. And a couple months into that, I thought, you know what, I, I need to let her speak to become empowered. So it's also very important for our children. And so you wrote a book, Healthcare Navigation 101 for college-bound students. And that is an interesting demographic because, as you say, you know, they're transitioning from having medical encounters, most likely with a parent or an adult present, but they're now going it alone. So what do they need to know as they move into this new phase of becoming a healthcare consumer? Yeah, they really need to understand, you know, the, the nuances of communication. And, you know, I'm not putting the generation down. I have two young adults myself, but we know that they do a lot of communicating via social media, via texting, you know, short phrases. And, and that can be a detriment in healthcare settings um, when we really need to have a narrative as to what has been going on, you know, over the last few days and in some cases over the last few months. So, you know, I talk about this in the book, you know, we just kind of walk through the questions that, um, that doctors are going to ask in a typical scenario so that the college students and the high school students have opportunities to practice that dialogue. You know, they, they need to understand the importance of um, writing things down. You know, they're, they're really busy with school and other activities, and they may not remember how long they've had that headache or, you know, some subtle something that's been going on with their body, and, and they may not realize that these things are all connected when they come in with a particular complaint. So one of the tips that I talk about in the book is, you know, using those smartphones that are glued to their hips and, you know, jotting down things in the notes feature, going into the calendar and jotting down, you know, that you had a fever this day or you had a headache or your joints were hurting or, you know, things like that. And then when the doctor is asking, well, how long has this been going on or have you had any other symptoms, rather than, you know, being clueless or trying to, you know, make things up, they can just go into their smartphone and see, okay, back on, you know, January 1st, I had this symptom. And then on January 4th, this happened. And then I went to the doctor on this day. And, and that just really, really helps because the history is everything. That's something that we tell our trainees, uh, but it really is true. Even in 2020, with all of the technology, the majority of the diagnoses are really made before we even touch the patient. And so it's really important that children and adolescents and young adults learn how to communicate their symptoms and their concerns. That's very interesting. So, so there's a way to make technology work for them, especially in cases of their health care, uh, because often technology doesn't work for the patient when the provider is so glued. You were talking earlier about working with children that you really make it a point, especially when they're pre-verbal to look at their facial expressions and try to make those diagnoses and have those conversations by looking at that person. And often that doesn't happen within a healthcare encounter. Yeah, that's very true. You know, the electronic medical record, unfortunately, is, is I say unfortunately, uh, you know, it is a benefit, but it's here to stay. And like you mentioned, it really has 
served as a physical and, and an emotional barrier, in my opinion, between doctors and other healthcare providers and their patients. Um, you know, we know that there's very little eye contact, um, and, and patients are feeling that. You know, they, they leave the encounters feeling as if the doctor doesn't really care, and, and the reality is that the doctors do care, but, you know, they are practicing now in a system that just really doesn't allow them to connect with their patients the way we did in the past. And so, you know, there's, there's ways around that. Like, you know, some uh, medical offices are using scribes where you have a third party in the room, and that way the doctor can still engage in a meaningful way with the patient and the caregivers in the room while someone else is on the computer tapping away. But, yeah, I think we are definitely seeing the impact of the electronic medical record on those doctor-patient relationships. Yep, absolutely. And so you talk about engaging and connecting, and that makes me think about the need for humor and lightness when it comes to communication within healthcare. So as a pediatrician, what did you do with children to bring some levity to the situation that physicians might do with all of their patients, regardless of age? I'm so glad you asked that question, Pat, because that's one of the things that I talked about in my TEDx talk is connecting. And I coined this phrase, the 90-second encounter, where I basically issue a challenge to doctors and other healthcare professionals to spend the first 90 seconds of every single visit just connecting. Don't ask why they're there. Don't jump right into their problem, but just connect on a human level. And so, you know, about to answer your question regarding pediatricians, that's absolutely necessary. You know, you can't just walk into an examination room, pull out your stethoscope, walk over to a child and put that cold thing on their chest. They're going to immediately scream and cry and withdraw, and you're not going to be able to hear what you have to hear. So one of the things that, you know, most pediatricians do is when we walk into a room, we smile, you know, not just with our teeth, but with our eyes, you know, and we say something funny, you know, we acknowledge the child, we call them by name, you know, many of us will get down on our knees depending on the height of the child so that we're at eye level. You know, we may make silly noises or say something funny or ask them about, you know, their school day or something to really let them know that we can be trusted and that they're in a safe place. And you have to do that before you even start to engage the child and, you know, any type of physical exam maneuvers and things like that. And so I think that those same tactics, you know, with the modification, of course, can and should absolutely be implemented by physicians who take care of adults. You know, adults are afraid in other ways. No, they're not going to scream and have a temper tantrum, but inside, you know, many of them are, are wary. They're afraid. They don't know what's going on with them, or maybe they're in the office for a follow-up to get, you know, bad news potentially. And so, you know, the simple act of making eye contact, you know, demonstrating compassion, asking about their last vacation or the best book they've read or something like that, you know, just really puts the patient at ease and lets them know that the doctor really does genuinely care. Thank you for that. Yeah, you talked about uh, going into a little child's exam and putting that cold stethoscope immediately without any kind of pre-conversation and that they scream and cry and withdraw. I think most adults scream and cry and withdraw as well, but on the inside. Um, yes. So, so <laughs> I, I love that, that those first 90 seconds are extremely important just to bring some light, some humor, and some humanness to the encounter. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How is your experience working with children now translated to working with the elderly population? You know, I think the, the main thing that I have brought with me from my pediatric career into this transition as an independent health advocate is my ability to communicate. You know, that's something that you just can't get past um, as a pediatrician. We are accustomed to not only having to talk to you know, the children and engage the children and, and hopefully, you know, explain what's going on in terms that they can understand. But then we have to turn and face the parents and, you know, explain it in a slightly different manner on a slightly different level in terms that they can understand. And it's not uncommon that in addition to the child and the parent, you may have a grandparent or some other caregiver that is asking for information. Um, and so, you know, over the years, you just really learn how to communicate with various age groups and, and how to relay medical information in a way that, that is understandable. And that has been invaluable for the clients that I work with. You know, many of them, unfortunately, are in situations where they don't understand what's going on with them and they don't feel like they've had adequate opportunities to ask questions. And so I am able to, you know, interpret that medical information and to talk with the various providers and then to distill that information and relay it back to them in a way that's very simple and concise and so that they can then, you know, make informed decisions. So I, I, I really appreciate my pediatric training in that regard, and I think that's been very helpful as a health advocate. I would think so. Maybe we need some mandatory peds training when it comes to communicating with clients and patients, right? <laughs> I need to spend six months with some kids. (laughs) That's not a bad idea, Pat. (laughs) It really isn't. (laughs) You gotta gotta find your softer side here before before you uh, before you hit hit the rest of the crowd. So, as an advocate for older people, then is there a one major issue or one big issue that you keep finding? There are several issues. I think if I were to cite, you know, certain maybe common themes. One of them certainly just has to do with advocating for them in hospital settings. You know, when when children are sick because of their age and maybe their cuteness, you know, everyone rallies around them. And really, there's a united common goal that we are going to make this child better, you know, in most cases. And unfortunately, you know, and I experienced this with my dad, I think just that general attitude is is sometimes missing with, with older adults. And I'm certainly not advocating for, you know, fetal care, you know, when, when someone's at the end of life, I'm not advocating for, you know, instituting therapies and treatments that we know are not going to help. But I do think that, um, you know, there's just a mindset when it comes to treating older adults. And, and this also goes to that lack of connection. You know, if you don't know that my dad used to be an avid traveler or that my dad is a sports fan and, you know, these things are important then it may be easier for you to just look at him as, oh, he's the diabetic in room three, or he's the person with heart disease in room 11. And, you know, and so I think a lot of my clients have really just had a lot of difficulty advocating for their family members. They feel that they um, are not getting the full story, that they're not being really communicated with, and that they have a difficult time making sure that the members of the medical team really understand their loved one's wishes. And so a lot of times, you know, I'm able to kind of step in and and help bridge those communication gaps. The other thing I see pretty frequently is confusion regarding insurance. You know, Medicare is 
uh, nightmare in some ways. I mean, it's a wonderful service. I'm glad that we have it, but it's very confusing. And a lot of um, older people and their family caregivers are not familiar with the cost sharing that goes along with Medicare. Many people think that, you know, when you get Medicare, you turn 65 and everything's free and nothing can be further from the truth. So that's probably one of the other common things that I deal with with clients is helping the caregivers understand the benefits through Medicare, um, and sometimes they may have other insurance policies and really helping them understand how those work together and making sure that they have adequate coverage for the services that they need. There's a lot to unravel here, and it's not an easy task. Caregiving is not an easy task. It's an incredibly oh huge gosh. responsibility. Yeah, for family members and the stress often takes its toll in so many ways, emotionally, financially, physically. If somebody cannot have an advocate for one reason or another, what advice do you have in general when it comes to caring for a loved one? I think organization is probably my first advice. You know, it's really, really important to be organized. And I recommend to all of my friends and family members who are caregivers, to all of my clients, that they develop some type of system to keep all of the information in one place. You know, myself, I, I like electronics, so I tended to do it on my smartphone or my iPad. So when I would accompany my dad to doctor's appointments and ER visits and things like that, I would type things out in my phone. That way, you know, I had one central location. I could also easily share it with my sisters or other family members who, you know, either wanted or needed to know. But, you know, you're, you're bombarded with information, um, particularly if they have multiple chronic illnesses, they're going to have lots of different providers. And, you know, we talked about the electronic medical record earlier. Unfortunately, we don't yet have the capability for those independent records to speak to one another. And so often the caregiver is the one person who has all of the information. You know, if you're going to a doctor in this part of town and you're going to another doctor, they are not able to pull up the records from, you know, the other doctor's visit. And sometimes, you know, the paper trail can be slow or maybe they never got it. And so the family caregiver is often the one person who has the information. And so having that in one place, whether it's a big binder, or, you know, a notebook, um, but some central location where everything is recorded can be extremely helpful and really is, is a must in my opinion. Um, the other thing that I, that I tell caregivers is to not underestimate the power of their voice and of their advocacy. And that, you know, while we often kind of shrink in the room with doctors and other healthcare professionals, or we sometimes will, will defer to their personal, our professional judgment. And, and yes, you know, they are amazing and they've gone to school for many years, but no one knows your loved one better than you. And there were so many times where, you know, I had to just really speak up for my dad because maybe, you know, a test result came back normal, but I knew that there was still something wrong with my dad. And this takes me back to my pediatric days where, you know, moms and dads would say, usually moms, sorry, dad, <laughs> but they would say, you know, something's wrong with my baby. I can't tell you what it is. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they would be right. Mm -hmm. And so caregivers have to be comfortable speaking up in medical settings, you know, sharing their opinion, escalating matters if it's not managed properly. And, and sometimes, you know, that may mean being the squeaky wheel. You know, I always recommend that they do it in a polite manner. But um, sometimes these are matters of, of life and death. 
Oh, you've just taken all my words out of my mouth. Those are exactly what I, <laughs> those are exactly what I experienced with my go round with my mom. I would be writing notes on scraps of paper and a napkin here and a scrap over there, and and you know you'd end out with this giant mess of things. And it wasn't till it was after the fact that I realized, oh my gosh, I should have been organized here and kept all of this in one location so that we could yes. have that continuity of care that, as you said, was often missing. And then you also talked about the power of a voice and the ability to speak up. The flip side of that, though, is that it needs to be in an environment where it is actually accepted and heard. Um, it's a shame that you have yeah. to become a squeaky wheel. You know, if you say that there's something wrong with my child or my dad or my mom, that needs to be listened to because we do know our loved ones better than a clinician who only knows those clinical signs and not the, not the very deep personal emotional, you know, spiritual signs that we as family members could pick up on. So thank you for bringing that up. Oh my gosh, I can tell there's so much that you and I can talk about today, but we're, <laughs> as we begin to wrap up, is there anything we missed that you wanted to highlight? You know, I just feel very, very strongly that patients and family caregivers belong at the center of every medical team. And I think that, you know, anything we can do to Get that message out there, you know, on the on the patient and caregiver side to empower them to, um, you know, take that role seriously. And then on, on the provider side, there's nothing like an engaged and involved and informed caregiver, you know. And I think in a lot of, and I understand because I've been there, so I know that, you know, often the the doctors and the other providers are feeling pressed for time, and they feel like, you know, when there's a caregiver in the room who's asking a bunch of questions or trying to, you know, advance an agenda, they see that as a barrier. This is, you know, something's keeping me from my next patient and I'm falling behind. But, you know, that person can literally be the difference between that patient being better and, and coming out of that particular problem and not. And so, you know, just really trying to get providers to understand that the, the caregiver is really your friend. You know, they can be that third eye and, and they can really be very helpful and, you know, just trying to really bridge that partnership and, and not make it so adversarial. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Don't treat me as a child when you're giving me information, but treat me as a child when you're caring for me as far as the, the manner in which you communicate, perhaps. Yes, absolutely. So how about sharing some contact information? You're in the Maryland area. Tell us where they can find out more about you. They can contact you, information where they might buy your book, whatever you need to share with us, please do. Oh, excellent. Thank you. I am in the Maryland area. Um, however, I do work with clients throughout the country because most of my services can be done remotely. And people can find me on my website, which is www.yourgpsdoc.com. I'm also on social media as Your GPS Doc. My book, Healthcare Navigation 101, A Guide for College-Bound Students and Parents, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook version. Excellent. So we're talking with Dr. Nicole Rochester. The website is Your GPS Doc, Your GPS Doc, Dot com. All right. Well, any final words as we begin to head out? No, I just want to thank you for this opportunity, Pat. I'm really impressed with your work. And I think, you know, anything that we can do to get the message out about the importance of patient safety is incredibly important. So thank you for having me. 
Oh my gosh, thank you for being here and thank you for joining us. I was so excited when you agreed to be a part of this book. So I thank you so much. And you're we very will, welcome. We'll have to do this again, right? I love that. All right. Well, thank you again. You're welcome. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. Thanks to the coronavirus, we're all at home with plenty of free time. What to do? I know I've cleaned out closets, dresser drawers, the refrigerator. Who knew staying at home could be so much work? So now that everything is clean and tidy, what next? How about a good book? When was the last time you had time to read? Well, here's your opportunity, and I have a suggestion for you. The book is titled Rio, A Love Story, How My Dog Saved My Life written by Joni Dark Shepherd. It's a moving, loving, and heartfelt story about a woman who cared for her ailing sister and mother until they both passed away. And then she found herself getting lost in the darkness of depression. She rescued several dogs and found the love of her life, Rio, whose unconditional love got her out of the house and into the show ring. Check it out at the website joanandrio.com. The book is also available as an audiobook that I had the honor to narrate. So read it or listen to it, but do it. Either way, visit joanandrio.com. Hi there, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I would really love for you to become a part of that world. We talk about things like the faceless villain of climate change, our compromised food supply, and about how to become a conscious consumer. But it's not all bad news. We educate, we inspire, we engage. We always leave you with some small steps you can take to make a difference for this great planet of ours and help you live the healthy life you deserve. Please visit MrsGreensWorld.com to learn more and become a part of our world. Are you wondering what to do with yourself while sheltering in place? I have a fun answer. Yay, good news at last. Listen to the OK Boomer podcast with two very real boomers who are honest, fresh, and funny. They're here to remind us that we're all okay. So sit back in your favorite recliner, concoct your favorite quarantini, add a splash of lemon or lime juice for added vitamin C, and tune in to the real Gene and Laura coming to you from beautiful Ohio. You can find them at okboomerpod.com. That's okboomerpod.com. And remember to wash your hands. So with that, I am heading out to continue my work on my upcoming charity patient safety book, Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. Lots to do. But with guests like today, 
It's shaping up to be 30 chapters chock full of patient safety perspectives. Hopefully late spring or early summer, it will be hot off the press, so I will keep you posted. Meantime, be sure to come back next week for more. But until then, visit the website, speakupandstayalive.com. Head over to the shop page to get your copies of my books, Speak Up and Stay Alive, The Patient Advocate Hospital Survival Guide, my other book, Healthcare Acquired Infections, The Troublemakers and How to Avoid Them, and then check out the other goodies, and that's at speakupandstayalive.com. Well, until next week, my friend, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice and patient safety. If you've missed part of today's show or just want to share the information with friends, you can listen to all of Pat's previous shows at speakupandstayalive.com. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Once again, it's speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call Pat at 440-725-5462. Until next week, remember, it's okay to ask others to wash their hands. You have to speak up and stay alive.